Welcome to the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Thursday, June the 24th, 2021. On this episode of the Politocrat, what do the numbers 600,000 and 4 million mean to you? Welcome back, and hello to you on this Thursday. I hope that your day is progressing just wonderfully. I know that, obviously, um, this is a difficult time for us all. I mean, we know that there are a lot of challenges for us in our lives and in general as we try to move forward each day with a little bit of strength and a little bit of love and a little bit of joy in the heart because we still have some very perilous times wherever we are on this planet at the time you're listening to this podcast episode. So I do want to just wish you a very good day, whether you're listening to this on June the 24th, 2021 or whether you're listening to this at a future date in time. I do wish you all the very best of health and good wishes and peace and love and blessings. And don't forget, please get vaccinated. And that's where I want to go to today because I look at what we're doing here in the United States. Uh, by we, I mean the some of the governments, state governments. And... It is as if this pandemic that we are all going through and have all experienced and continue to experience never happened for some people, for some people, for some governors, for some... I I just do not know. And I've talked about this before, dear listener, but I I think it's, it's time to really put a more rounded and pointed perspective to this. And I've talked about numbers and I have made it very clear. And I think if you've listened to this podcast on any number of occasions, you will know that I have said as recently as yesterday that numbers are not the thing that defines you as a human being. It is what you do. It is, when I say what you do, I'm talking about what you do in life, not what your occupation is. It is what you do as a person who you are as a person in terms of what kind of character you have. And that is what defines you. And the kind of things that you do in life define who you are. Not numbers, not trophies, not Oscars that you've won, not Emmys that you've won. But you as a person, your character. When we all leave this planet, what will be said about us at our funerals, at the eulogy, at... You know, I've spoken about death this week on this podcast. And, you know, that's that's the the question to really uh, look at and ponder what will be said. And so people aren't going to talk about the Oscars that you won. They're not going to talk about the Emmys that you won. They're not going to talk about how many awards you got. I mean, if they do, I think that's the wrong priority to be looking at. But you've got to be they've got to be talking about what kind of person are you? What kind of human being are you? You know, 
What did you do in life to touch others? What kind of person? What was your character like? What kind of personality did you have? You know, and that's the thing that gets remembered, not how many Oscars and how many, you know, competitions you won, how many trophies you got in a sport. No, no, no. It's about you, you, you. But what I am going to do is talk about numbers because numbers do mean something when it comes to the number of people who have passed away from COVID-19. And numbers are important. But what I said yesterday about this is we need to know the names and the faces behind the numbers. But the reason why I've talked about numbers here again is to talk about how death again is disposable in the Western culture. And nobody really takes time to reflect on it in the way that it really should be reflected on. And when I say nobody, I'm talking about the corporate news media. I'm talking about the cultural strictures that bind Western societies and that bind any notion of it. And so that's what I'm getting at. And I just lament that we have come to a point where people are just going back to whatever they thought was quote-unquote normal. And I don't know that people have really reflected on the fact that we have lost nearly 4 million people worldwide to this virus. I want to get into a bit more about this and talk about what we are doing and how we're processing it because it's really a concern for me and a concern concern to me, I should say. Um, It might be a concern for me too, but... It's a concern to me, and I know that I'm not the only one. I know that it's a concern to some of you as well. Welcome back. So how are we processing all of this? I, I, I think perhaps subconsciously, why I may have brought up the episode about death is because I think it is connected to, um, it's connected to all the things that I talked about a couple of days or so ago. Um, but also maybe Monday of this week or whenever it was, I mean, these days do bleed into each other, as I've said many times. But I think one of the reasons also is where we are, we're living through a pandemic. And I don't know what it was like in 1918 and 19. I wasn't here and nor were you. There were probably maybe 10 people on the planet that were, well, maybe more than that. But they wouldn't have been able to remember very much of this in 1918. That they got through it. People did get through it, but at great cost, of course, lots of people died. Something like 50 to 60 million people died. That's, you can't even compute those kinds of numbers. Which is why we need faces and names because numbers become, at some point, I wouldn't say meaningless, but so cold and so impersonal and so distant that there is no connection. When you look at a number somewhere, whether it's in your paycheck, whether it's I don't know whether it's the football score that you're looking at or your the basketball score or whether it's I don't know whatever the you know a sale price or a, a price of an item whether it's a sale price or not when you look at numbers what does that do to you 
I mean, you don't feel anything from that, do you? Versus if you look at a human face, if you look at a face, there is something that you as a human being surely radiate within, whether it's, and I radiate is probably the wrong word. There's something in you that responds to that in some way. It could be very visceral. It could be very neutral. It could be whatever it might be, but you do feel a response. If you look at a photograph of someone, doesn't matter who it is, what they look like, or anything like that. But when you look at a photograph of a human face, as a fellow human being, regardless of who that face is, who it belongs to, anything else, there is something in you as a human being that either connects or does not connect with the image of that face that you are looking at. And there's got to be some tests done on this. And I know there have been tests done on all kinds of things like this. And I'm not talking facial recognition. I'm talking about just, and maybe there hasn't been a study like what I'm proposing. Maybe I should do it myself. What I'm talking about is anybody sit in a room for 10 minutes. And the room could either have been lit well or you could be sitting in a room that doesn't have any light in it at all. No ambient light or anything. And what is in front of you is a series of faces. And you can just look at them. And the, you should have an electrodes uh, or, or electrodes connected to you. And it will measure. I'm sure there's ways this is done all the time. That you can measure your, your response and how your body and your physiognomy and your makeup, how, you know, how your you know, human makeup responds to a face that you see versus a number. And I'm not talking about these tests, oh, by implicit bias tests and all this nonsense. I'm talking about, because I think some of that is a bunch of nonsense, and only in a racist society like this would there be these kinds of tests, which, which really are loaded and stilted from the giddy-up. What I am talking about is having anybody, you, me, someone else, whomever else in the world, for 10 minutes, sit in a room with the electrodes on, you're, you're uh, monitored, your rate's monitored, your heart rate, everything else, to a machine. And for 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, you are presented with a series of faces. And then you take a break, and then five or 10 minutes later, you're presented with 10 minutes of numbers. And have the same, you know, electrodes monitoring you and everything else to a machine and tie your emotional responses, your physiognomy, your whole mental response, whatever, your, your brain waves, all that, and, and compare the two. And you will no doubt get a lot more stimuli from the test results from that first 10 minutes of experimentation with you looking at the human faces versus the second 10 minutes with you looking at a series of numbers. I'm pretty confident of that, and I've never run this experiment. I don't know if anybody ever has in the world. Numbers versus faces. But I maybe should run this experiment. But it's a, I think it's a good one, but it's also a very easy one, isn't it? Because when you're looking at human faces, you feel something. That's my point. You feel a connection or you feel a repulsion. You feel a an attraction or you feel disgust. 
But when you look at numbers for 10 minutes, your eyes glaze over. You are like someone in school who detested math. And your mathematics skills may be good, maybe not. And there are people in the world who excelled at math. Actually, I did. But I can't say that I really enjoyed maths, even though I did very well in it. I mean, look at the profession I happen to be in. (laughs) You deal with people. Sometimes you don't, though. As an attorney, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's, you know, you're doing a very different type of law where you're not dealing with people. I mean, I deal with people, but yeah, there's different types of law where you're not necessarily doing that kind of thing. For example, if you're, and I'm not in this discipline of law, but if you are in a discipline of practice in criminal law, you're dealing with people all the time. You're dealing with people that you may be representing, uh, family that you may be representing, uh, uh, you may be part of the district attorney's office, you may be part of the defense counsel, you may be where, whatever, but you're dealing with people all the time. But if you're a mathematician, you're not, most likely. Although it depends. If you're working like Katherine Johnson did as a scientist in NASA, and she did that in the 60s and I think into the 70s as well, then yeah, you're dealing with people because she had to deal with people at NASA. And remember the movie Hidden Figures, which talked about her and the two other black women who were very much a part of all of this. But these are the kinds of things that I'm applying. And I say all this because... I'm looking at these numbers for COVID-19 all over the world. And it really does send a chill down my spine. It really does. Because these numbers, and I'm getting this from Johns Hopkins University of Medicine at the Coronavirus Resource Center, and you may well be familiar with that website. I used to look at that website every day for the first nearly six months of this pandemic. And then after a while, I said, this is really too much. And I said, you know what? I want to see faces. I want to see faces. And I know it took me six months to realize that in my mind, even though on this podcast, I had been saying that very early on. I mean, I've been saying that in May of last year when I read out many names because the New York Times in May of 2020 had published 100,000 names, the first 100,000 people to have died in the United States from this pandemic, COVID-19, from this virus. And it covered the entire uh, first page, front page of the paper, and then uh, several pages inside the paper. And I still have that copy of the New York Times. And I read for a good, maybe an hour plus, the whole episode was completely about reading out these names. And I read out all of these names. And at that time, I had said, well, you know, we need to see the pictures of these people. We need to see the the names. We need to see their stories. We need to. We need to feel this. And I know that there are people who feel this because they've been directly affected. You've been directly affected in that way where you know someone who's had COVID-19. You've been directly affected regardless of whether... You've had COVID-19, whether you know someone who has, whether you know someone who's died from it or not. We've all been affected. And I suppose what I'm trying to get at is is that we need to have more connection. And when we're dealing with death, 
We cannot dispose of it like it doesn't matter to us. And this culture has long done that, which I talked about before earlier this week in the episode I did on death. So when I look at these figures from the Johns Hopkins School, University of Medicine, I see some really grim things. And I try to say to myself, well, would I feel differently about this since I talked about numbers and faces just a few minutes ago in the experiment that I proposed or that I was hypothesizing? Would I feel any different about the way I feel about these numbers and what they are if I actually saw faces represented instead of these cold, hard numbers? And I get it, a system like this one excels when it uses numbers instead of human beings. Some will say, as I said earlier in another episode, well, what else, how else are we going to measure all of this? Well, there have been cultures that have measured things in, in things other than numbers. And this culture, whether it's the West, whether it's England, whether it's the United States, whether it's, you know, a lot of times measures success in numbers. And not in people, not in what they do, not in... I mean, they obviously... Look, listen, I'm not going to be this uh, ridiculous and say that people are not measured in terms of success. Of course they are. But I'm talking about the things that you can't just put in a number. And I mean, you hear about this in sports. Well, and I've heard about it in sports. I'm sure you have too if you're a sports person. If you're not a sports person, then you can plug your ears right now. But you do hear about this in sports, where a commentator, whether it's on a, in a baseball game, whether it's in a football match, Premier League, La Liga, whether it's NHL, whether National Hockey League, it's NBA, National Basketball Association, whether it's the WNBA, Women's National Basketball Association, whatever the sport might be. You hear commentators sometimes, and tennis, you hear commentators sometimes say, well, numbers don't tell the whole story. And that's really true. They don't tell the whole story. They do not, which is why I want to see na names and faces, names and faces. I want to. I still want to. And I wonder if you do. I wonder if you do, and I wonder if seeing those faces brings it home to you, seeing those faces, would that just completely leave you in a pile of tears? Seeing those faces, would it devastate you? Seeing those faces, would it just crush you? Would it be all of the above? Or would it just be too much for you to bear? which is kind of a variation on a few of those choices I just provided, but I guess my whole point is, again, I want to reiterate this. We need to have a connection with the fact that we've lost nearly 4 million people around the world to COVID-19. And this is the thing that is a concern. How many of us 
do think about any of these people. Unless, of course, if they are your relative or a family member, of course you think about them. Of course you do. But I am just trying to wonder, for the sake of this podcast episode, but in general, not just about this podcast episode, is how many of us in this world think about any of these deaths? I don't know what the answer to that question is, and I don't know that you do either. But I do want to know if you think about that ever anymore. Have you ever thought about this? If you're someone who hasn't lost a loved one, if you're someone who hasn't had COVID, and I hope no one gets COVID, and I hope that if you've had it, that you've been able to somehow persevere, and I hope that you're feeling better. I know people have told you this before, dear listener, who are in long COVID, and it's horrible for them. And it may well be that those persons may include you. And I hope that this is some way, in some way, shape or form, can just be eradicated from your life. Because this is really horrible. And I do wonder, do people think about all of this loss of life? The culture doesn't. I've made that clear this week. I don't think the culture does here in the West. I don't think we do. We are a pro-death culture, but we don't talk about death. And what I mean by that is that there's all these references to violence. There's gun violence. I know President Biden unveiled a uh, plan to deal with gun violence in this country, in the U.S. of A. The Attorney General Merrick Garland also spoke yesterday, and I'll get into that on another day, maybe tomorrow or over the weekend, because I do need to talk about that. I also need to to convey to you some of the things that we can do um, to get involved in this and in, in actively combating gun violence and reducing the number of guns that come in um, to these states or anywhere across the country. So that's something that I do endeavor to do. But my whole point of bringing up guns is because we are a very much pro-death and pro-violence culture in the, in the West, certainly here in the U.S. specifically. I don't think there's any question about it. We lead by far, by leaps and bounds, the number of people killed um, by guns, by you know mass shooting, all of these things. And there's no contest. We're number one. I mean, that's the chant, isn't it? We're, you know, the American exceptionalism. Exceptionalism, we're number one. But that's not the aim here. What I'm trying to say is, we are very much about our guns, about, about the violence. The movies are violent. They've been forever violent. You've got the kinds of rhetoric that get thrown around by politicians. You've got your TV shows. Some of them are violent. You've got your movies. Some of them are violent, as I mentioned. You've got this, you've got that. You've got a whole culture that's very violent and pro-death, but doesn't talk about death. Doesn't talk about what happens once someone dies. Doesn't talk about the things that everyday people we have to go through when we lose someone. Very cowardly and chicken, chickeny, isn't it? That people don't, that the culture doesn't want to deal with that part of death. But flexes its muscles. Oh, yes. Let's have a movie poster with another gun on it. Let's have another movie poster with a man holding a gun. Let's have another movie poster with people holding guns. In most of these movie posters, they don't have people holding each other and 
consoling them or comforting them or kissing. Most of the movie posters in this country, if you look at movie posters, most of them overwhelmingly have a gun somewhere in those posters or some explosion or some fire. But how many movie posters have people embracing each other, hugging, kissing, holding each other's hands? And I'm talking about the ones that aren't, that are love stories. I'm talking about all of them, actually not just love stories, any of them. And you will see the vast majority of these things. I mean, James Bond movies, forget it. Every one of those has a blooming gun in it. Every single one. And I get it. That's a spy. So a spy is a British spy. I get it. So yes, there's going to be violence. But what I'm saying is, is that the culture is so steeped in symbols of death and symbols of violence, but doesn't want to deal with COVID-19 numbers. And notice, I've not really given you the specifics of these numbers yet. But I'm going to. And over this very brief break, I want you to just think about. Have you given any thought today or any in recent weeks to those people who've lost their lives? And I'm talking about this, whether you've lost someone or not. I'm obviously you have if you've lost someone, but have you given thought to that? And what is this vaccination process doing? And does that affect how you think about the people who are no longer with us on this planet due to this virus? Think about that for a moment, won't you? And I'll be right back. Welcome back. So, any thoughts about this, about the the people behind these numbers, really? Not the numbers, perhaps, but the people behind them. Because we don't know the people behind these numbers. We've not seen photos, or we may have seen some photos of them, but we've not really seen an appreciable number of images. I mean, yeah, there's some, and I suspect that maybe... On the corporate news media, there are people still talking about people and they have remembrances. I know when I used to watch CNN, they did that. They did have segments at the ends of broadcasts of programs where they would actually say, and this person died and this person died and they did this with their lives and this is who their family was. We need to connect with that now. We need to keep doing that. And we really... Let's let's have it absolutely right. We should be doing half-hour programs on this. These networks who have the ability to do this, and anybody for that matter, heck, we can go on YouTube and do a YouTube video and talk about the people if we had access to their names and faces to the extent that these families want that. But listen, a whole lot of families have given their information to CNN, so certainly there are people who want to know, want the world to know about their loved one. We need to do that, though, on a regular basis, where there's actually not just the last minutes of a news broadcast or a news show devoted to these people, you know, 15 seconds. We need a whole half hour to an hour just talking about the people who existed, who were here, who lived, who loved, who cared, who did good things. 
were looked up to or learned things or we need to be in touch with that that's that's part of who we are we need to be in touch with people we need to be in touch with those who are here and those who are not here those who are surviving or are survivors and those who did not manage to survive and that's why and how that's how I should say you recalibrate a culture and what that culture means because as I've said we in the western culture but particularly in the United States culture we traffic in all of this violence, all of this death, all of this kill, 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 these video games and movies and TV and all of this. I talked about this. But we don't talk about death. We don't talk about the, what that means, the ramifications of it, the lives that are affected and the process and what happens afterwards. We don't go into that in this culture. There are, there are a few cultures that do, and I've talked about that in previous episodes. But we, but all of this is again. I've said this too: is that if we do talk about death in this country, and if we do talk about it in this culture, in the Western culture, it's a very superficial engagement with it. There is nothing that goes beyond the surface in most cases, and it's a very superficial engagement with the subject, and it's thoughts and prayers, and then. People move on. And I get it. Life moves on. I get that. But come on now. We've got to do more than just a 10 second remembrance of somebody. It's like a soundbite remembrance of them. You think about it. It's rather insulting. But the flip side of that, of course, lawyers always, we have to do these things the flip side to that argument is well it's good that a network or anybody spent the 15 seconds or 10 seconds remembering them at all because it's a way to say that they care you know it's a way to say that and rather than have no remembrance even if it is only 10 or 15 seconds that is Better than nothing. And then there are people to counter argue that who would say, well, half a loaf is not better than none. Because it does kind of seem a little bit expedient. I don't know. Maybe my reasoning there was not quite clear. But there are people who think that this pandemic is over now. There are lots of people who think that because of their behavior. They don't have to actually say those words, but their behavior. And I think taking off a mask is indicative of that. I really do. I think that that shows that you don't care. I don't care what the CDC says. And does that mean that the CDC doesn't care? I mean, I do think a lot of this is political. And I do think it's all about the economics of these big businesses and how... They can't bear to lose any more people, um, rather lose any more profits. Not people. I mean, people, people, what's people to Amazon? I mean, you know, Amazon doesn't give a rat's ass about people. I mean, just look at, 
Jeff Bezos making the money he made during the height of this pandemic and at least the early stages of it. And this pandemic is still here. It ain't going anywhere yet. And it certainly ain't going anywhere if people aren't getting vaccinated. Not because of the resources that lack because of imperialism and colonialism by the US or the UK, but because they just don't want to get vaccinated. And it's a scandal, but it's true. There are people whose family members are telling them don't get vaccinated. And so they go and get vaccinated in secret. As I read here in San Francisco in the San Francisco Chronicle recently. Do you imagine that? Maybe you are living that. Somebody in your family saying, don't get vaccinated. This is not what we want. And maybe there's faith-based reasons for that or whatever. But still, I think that the sanctity of life is important in this respect. If you've got a health outbreak that threatens the entire planet, I think that takes precedence, does it not, over someone's views that their religion talks about? I mean, they will say, no, it doesn't take precedence. But I think we have to look at the greater good. And the greater good is having a healthy populace. The greater good is having a healthier society. The greater good is to make sure that this virus does not ravage the blooming place, which it already has done. And not just the place, the planet has been ravaged by it. And that's the greater good. So whatever religious views that I may have or you may have or someone else may have, kind of pales in comparison to the fact that we've got, what, 9 billion, 8, 9 billion people on this planet and millions of them are dying because of this virus and one of the things that would greatly reduce any further death toll would be to actually get vaccinated. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer from there, isn't it? Well, maybe not. Maybe it's not for some. Maybe for some it is not a no-brainer. And it's just really, I don't know, it's just kind of telling, isn't it? Oh, I have to do this in secret because my family won't approve. That's just just crazy. What about, does your family approve of the 4 million people dying from this virus? Does your family approve of the Delta 2 variant that is spreading all over the planet? Does your family approve of the fact that vaccinations actually do save lives from this virus? I mean, does your family approve of any of that? I mean, that's what I wanted to say when I read this story in the San Francisco Chronicle about a trip to various stores in the city and just across the Bay Bridge into Oakland, California. And they were in the Chronicle uh, there was a report on this and, you know, the reporter visited these different uh, grocery stores and made observations about who came in and out and how many people had a mask on and how many people did not. And for the most part, the ratios were very favorable in terms of people who were wearing a mask versus the people who weren't. So the, the ratio favored mask wearers in these stores, but there was still in one store it was a closer ratio. And then there were people even in the stores where the ratios were very, very good for people wearing the masks who were saying things like, well, you know, I'm a, I really have to do this in secret or I'm not doing it. I, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not doing, you know. And I see, again, I keep saying, saying to you, dear, dear listener, that I see a lot of people in this part of town here in San Francisco who aren't wearing a mask. 
And they, they their whole thing is, well, CDC says if I'm fully vaccinated, I don't have to wear it. And then this nonsense about an honor system. I mean, Governor Newsom here got this wrong. Well, we're doing it on, on, on an honor system. And you know people aren't honest. Come on, Governor. I mean, you know that people aren't honest. Of course, there's some honest people in the world. Of course, there are. And there are honest people everywhere. In every town, you can find some honest people. But oh my God, when you tell people what is the honor system, how many people really are honorable enough to honor the honor system? I know it's cynicism and oh, oh, you think the worst of people. No, no, it's not that I think the worst of people. It's This is human experience talking. And there are, the human experience speaks volumes. It's not that I think the worst of human beings. No, quite the contrary. There's millions, I keep saying this, there's lots of millions of people in the world who are decent and really decent human beings, good people in that way. And there are some, and there's a lot who aren't. And it's good to big up, if you will, the people who are doing the right thing. But we've got to challenge the people who aren't. If you want a better world and a better you and a better me, as, as uh, Tevin Campbell once said, then we've got to start challenging the stuff that's BS. We have to challenge these Republicans and vote them out. We've got to challenge people and, and tell them that, come on, do you not care about anything beyond your own nose? And so that's the real concern that... Uh, has been afoot here. These numbers, so-called numbers, I mean, they're numbers, these are people. I, I, you know, I really kind of loathe to read out some of these specifics, but I'm going to. And just think of all of the human beings behind these numbers. There have been three million, I think I said this before, but I'll repeat it if I have, if I've said it before. Three, if, or if I haven't. 3,893,948 people around the world have died from coronavirus, COVID-19, and 602,838 of them are here in the United States. That is the largest number of people in any group, and I think India is soon going to overtake that, if it hasn't already. This is really something else. And in, in there's still new cases of this virus, 12,436 cases. Oh, boy. And I think that's in the... Uh, in the U.S. Cases rising. Right? This is um, in the same Johns Hopkins University of Medicine Coronavirus Resource Center. Cases rising in Alaska, Arkansas, California, Louisiana, Missouri, Nebraska, Nevada, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah. This week, all of the cases in those states, the cases in those states have, daily cases have risen, have increased in those states I just read out. And a lot of these states have reopened. And this is in the week or two. It's been just about nine or ten days since Gavin Newsom, the governor of 
of this state of California reopened the state and said, oh, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear masks. Then there may be some exceptions and businesses can do this and that. But businesses are in a quandary now. These grocery store workers still wear masks, of course, because they've got to protect the environments and, the, you know, that they're working in. They're indoors all day. They're not out on the street vending. They're out. They're indoors. So they've got to protect themselves. And then you've got people coming into these stores now here without a mask on. And it's just really oppressive and cruel to those workers. And it's disrespectful to, to those workers. It's disrespectful to, to them as people. And it's disrespectful to the fact that we've lost nearly 4 million people on this planet. 602,000 of them here in the United States. And you just walk into a, a, a blooming grocery store with your mask off, with no mask on. Not even your mask off. You don't have a mask. You just walk in and people are sacrificing. And you don't care. And people, not you personally, but people don't care. Some of these people do not give a rats. And I've seen it. You know, have you seen it? If you've been in a grocery store lately, have you seen people now in your state, particularly if your state has now started to say, oh no, you can reopen. Open Sesame. Haven't you seen people walk into these stores now with no mask on? It's just really evil. It's just evil. And it just, we don't care. People do not care. Some people, a lot of people don't seem to give a rats. And all this culture did, all the media did at the beginning was, oh, the emergency workers and oh, the frontline workers and oh, the grocery store workers and thank you very much. And, and yeah, you can thank all of those groups all you want, but what about paying them more? What about paying them a minimum wage that's livable in terms of grocery store workers? You know, some of the same people that were saying thank you grocery workers, the same people that thumbed down the $15 an hour federal minimum wage, Kirsten Cinnamon. Joe Manchin. All Republicans. I mean, some of these people are going, oh, we thank the grocery store workers and this worker... These are the same people that turned around, went back to Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill, and went and voted against them. It's all, that's why I said, this whole concern about life, I think, in the American culture, in some instances, is very, very superficial indeed. And what is the use of telling people that you care? And then you go to Washington, D.C. and vote against them. Or you walk into a store without a mask at all, while people behind the counter are wearing the masks and have been wearing them since May or March, I should say, of 2020. It's, it's, it's just crazy. And you want things to be normal, people do, but normal for what? Normal to whom? And what's normal mean? As I said, there is no normal. It's episodic. That's what it is. It's episodic. And whatever episodic is, is what is the routine to you. But I find it really disturbing. And I don't know, do you still, do you get emails from companies telling you, oh, buy this and buy that? Because I find that stuff disturbing. To open up my inbox and see all of these companies, oh, they can't wait, flooding your inbox with tickets for this and tickets for that and go buy this and go buy that. And there's a pandemic still going on. 
I, I don't I don't get it. I really don't get it. That's what's so schizophrenic or rather so pathological or even more so psychopathic or sociopathic. I mean, I just don't get it. You know, I really don't. And I guess it's not something I'm ever going to understand. Yeah, it's just really incredible to me. But someone will figure this out someday. I don't know if I'm going to be the one to do that or whomever. It's not going to be only one person in the world. But there'll be people that will figure out why. I'm sure it is that we've all rushed back or some of us have rushed back. Well, I mean, I know one answer I would suspect, obviously, is a pretty clear one. That business needs to be fed. See how quickly we ran back here in California. But we haven't dealt with lightning speed with people who are homeless. We haven't dealt with trying to get them a roof to live under. We've not dealt in any kind of lightning speed at all with that. We've not dealt with any kind of lightning speed about eradicating police who murder black and brown people. We've not dealt with any of that. We've not eliminated that problem from, from rea- you know, we've not eliminated the problem of police murdering us. With the speed in which we've suddenly now reopened things here in California, or wherever you might be in your state, or whether you might be, wherever you might be in your country, wherever you're living in. Because it seems now, and I've said that uh, Boris Johnson's going to have egg on his face yet again, for July the 19th, but it seems now as if they're hell-bent on making sure that July 19th is the date. And all these dates and numbers and dates and dates, can we rely on the science for a change? I honestly do not think that these dates are a good idea, these July 19th. You can't just stick a date on it. The science has to measure all of this, and this is going to take its course. And the people who aren't being vaccinated must get vaccinated. And the people who don't want to really should get vaccinated also. They must. And you've got to get tougher with this. I mean, here in San Francisco, city workers are being told in no uncertain terms, if you refuse to get vaccinated, we are going to fire you. And they are within their rights to do that. It's a public health and safety issue. These workplaces, city workers... I mean, this is municipal government. They have a right to tell these employees, look, if you, if you don't want to get vaccinated, go find another job. We don't want you here. We don't want you here if you're not going to safeguard yourself and others. We need to have a healthy working environment and we need to have healthy people. And we are not going to have anything close to a semblance of healthy or healthier if you don't freaking well get vaccinated. And so the city of San Francisco has told its workers that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think they're well within their rights to say that. And do you think so? I mean, I hope you would. They have every right to say, hey, look, you know, you need to get vaccinated. And if you don't, we're going to fire you. And I think if that was challenged in a court, if that person who was fired was challenged in court, I think they'd lose. If they challenged it in court, I should say. I think they'd lose. I think they'd totally lose. I really do. 
Because I think there's no, I mean, there's no question about it. No question. There's no question about it. You can't talk about having an employee handbook for this and for that and no violence here and no this here, no harassment, sexual harassment here, no racial discrimination here, and then allow city employees not to get vaccinated? No, it doesn't make sense, does it? It's not consistent with any kind of logic or even the handbook policies of any company. So this is about the workplace. This is about protecting the workplace. This is about protecting yourself, protecting the lives of others as well. So the city of San Francisco is well within its right to tell city workers that they must get vaccinated. So, you know, there are some people who care. There are some other countries and cultures that care. But we have a long way to go, both in the UK and the US, to getting to a point where this virus is in a place where it can't do very much damage at all. We are a long way from that because there are people who are like who are saying things like, oh, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not going to get vaccinated. I don't need to. You know people in your family probably who are saying this and who aren't getting vaccinated. Why? They're not going to. Oh, the risks are much higher for people who are unvaccinated. So what? I'm going to die anyway. Those are the kinds of responses that you hear from people who obviously do not care about their lives enough that they would prepare to risk dying. What? It makes no sense to me. It really makes no sense. Maybe over this brief commercial break, this break, maybe you can make sense of it. Welcome back. So I'm just, again, and I thank you, dear listener, for for listening and thinking about these kinds of things. And I hope we can continue to think about these things and, and really reflect on them because... We really must, you know, we, we must do this. You know, you've got these variants all over the place. I mean, okay, not all over the place, but they are spreading. You've got Delta 1 and Delta 2 and the number of deaths in the UK are going up again. You've got over 128,000 human beings who have died in, in the UK from this virus in England, I think, or in the UK overall rather from this virus. This is not anything to be rushing back to the beach for. I mean, my gosh, if this if we were in a World War Three, God forbid, what would people be doing? I mean, some of the people that I have observed walking around, I mean, my gosh, they won't sacrifice a pinky. They won't sacrifice anything at all because they're just so used to living a very fantasized life of very real privilege. They won't sacrifice a pinky nail. And it's just pathetic. And when you think back in the generational scheme of things, what generations in certain times in this country and around the planet sacrificed, oh my gosh, it's just embarrassing in some ways and shameful that there are some of us who won't even put a mask on our faces. It's the least we can do, really. 
It's the minimum of what we can do. And some people won't even do that. And it's only going to get worse if people don't chip in with a mask on their face. Come on. Show that you care about yourself at least. If you don't care about anyone else, can you at least care about yourself and the people who are immediately around you? Oh, goodness. Oh, my gosh. Is it really that difficult to put a mask on? Is it? I mean, if we really were invested in a pro-life culture in this country, we would have mask dispensaries all over the place on every block in this country. You would think that a country that lost over 602,000 people and counting to COVID-19 would have an inkling to get an idea to actually implement that. I mean, we, in the drop of a hat, will vote in the Senate and the House for billions upon billions of dollars for military spending. $745 billion got passed during this pandemic last December while the stimulus checks still hadn't come. In fact, there was still no um, official bill in place for any of that. But last December, there was no hurry. No, I mean, no, there was a hurry. It, it took lickety-split amount of seconds to get a $745 billion defense spending bill passed. We don't have our priorities right, and that's by design. Because there's a system that is a well-oiled killing machine that is all about death as long as a small number of people in the country and the world profit from the fallen and the deceased which is the same thing, right? The fallen and the deceased. So that's the really, the, the, that's the thing that nags, right? That nags at you, nags at me, certainly. Our priorities have never been in place because the system's priorities are all about death, capitalism, and profit. That unholy trinity, well, two of those things are unholy because the other one Death is something that happens to all of us, right? It comes to all of us. As I say all the time here now. I've known that forever. We've all known that forever. I'm talking mostly though, the unholy is the capitalism and the profit part. And there's nothing wrong with profits. And there's nothing wrong with making some money. I am all in favor of it. I like it myself, but not when it's at the expense of people and them dying and being trampled on. And we don't even, we have a memorial, I think, um, well, we always should have one for all of these people who are dying in the country from COVID-19. But where are the dispensaries? Where are, where's the education booklets? I had a conversation about this months and months ago with someone. And I said, and I think I've said it here, when this pandemic broke out, there should have been a pamphlet sent to people. Instead of telling people to go to a blooming website, which people don't even barely look at websites anymore, it's all on their phone and they may look at it, they may not, but my goodness me, you know, send someone, send, what, what if the CDC and the government under the previous guy had ever sent us a pamphlet, a four or five page booklet that tells us, okay, this is what the virus is doing. Here's where you can find more information. Da 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 da. What if we got that education instead of people going to websites and then more than half the country doesn't even own a computer here in the US doesn't own a laptop so if you send it to a mail mailing address however 
they're more likely to get it. Now, if they'll read a four or five, five page pamphlet or not is another story, but I'm just saying, at least the information is in their hands. But we still haven't done that, even after 600,000 plus people here in the United States have died, and even after almost 4 million people worldwide have. How many people are getting pamphlets through the mail in any country about this virus? I'm sure some must be, but not here in the United States. In the United Kingdom, I know that I remember that Boris Johnson sent out a letter to everybody. I think in March uh, or April of 2020. I don't know if anybody is scoffing at Boris Johnson, who has proven to be a most inept and viciously calculating, lying incompetent, who really is just actually much rather focused on allowing bodies to be stacked by the thousands before issuing another national lockdown. Remember, he said that. He claimed that he didn't say it, but people were in the room when he said it. And this cannot be denied. And of course, when a liar is telling you they didn't say something, you know what that is all about and you know what to do with that information. But, um, you know, I, I just do think about this because I just think it's important. I know I'm not the only one on... <laughs> I know I'm not the only one on the planet that feels that way. Um, sometimes, though, people, you might feel like you are. Because the culture around you is sending these signals that it's okay. Dip your toes back in the water. It's nice and warm. The water's warm. Come on in. Take off your mask. Take off anything else. <laughs> I think that people who do this are taking complete leave of their senses. That's the only thing they're taking off. Because I don't know why anybody would want to run back to whatever they think normal is. Because that's kind of the point, isn't it? I mean, I wonder if we are supposed to sit back and think about what are we being told here by the culture or by this virus or by our circumstances? And are we learning if there is a lesson to be learned? Because I think there are. But if we don't learn from history a.k.a. 1918. And if we don't learn from all these other events in history, how can we say whether we've learned anything or not if these events continue on? Because our reaction to them and what we do about them are everything and are every level of an indicator as to whether or not we have indeed learned. Or if we choose to just go down the same path because we don't want to do anything and because we're lazy and indifferent and selfish or if we want to turn the tide change the course push forward to something better and work on making all of us better people in a better world in a safer world thanks very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.